Nehemiah 6.1. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no more breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of, oh no. That's how you say it in the Hebrew, oh no. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should I, why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah was a man motivated by a mission and the knowledge of the mission God called him to mattered in his life. And I want to speak to you on that theme today, that mission matters. God bless you. Please be seated. When I see the condition of our culture, I see a generation of people who have nearly everything to live on, but nothing to live for. The absence of meaning, of mission, has left a cavernous void in the hearts of people who live and die to themselves. Today I want to offer you a better life, a reason to live, a cause worthy of your best effort. From the story of Nehemiah, I hope to show you that mission matters. Nehemiah was among the, the Jewish people that were deported away from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon, later Babylon conquered by Persia. We don't know how old Nehemiah was or when he entered the scene, but Nehemiah had earned trust and respect, and he served in the role as cupbearer of the king of Art, King Artaxerxes of Persia, the ruling empire of the entire world. He was that guy who had no small honor in his life. He had the duty of tasting what the king was going to taste to make sure that it wasn't poison. That's a pretty important job, but a pretty dangerous job, I would think. Uh, Nehemiah was allowed to be in the king's presence when the queen was there, which was saying something about his level of position and trust. From all points, Nehemiah lived a life of luxury and privilege in the palace in Persia. The empire was at its zenith, and the signs of prosperity were everywhere that Nehemiah looked. He lacked nothing. You could say that Nehemiah was really blessed of God because he was important, prospered, favored. He had everything to live on. His boss, the king, was an understanding man. He was reasonable in his relationship with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was set for life. For Nehemiah, it was better to be in Persia in the palace in comfort than to be back in Judea with poverty, a place that had experienced a brain drain. Even the craftsmen were deported to Babylon and now it's Persia. And there was a dark cloud of depression 
that hung heavy over the atmosphere of Jerusalem. For decades, no one lifted their finger to try to rebuild the walls and restore the city of Jerusalem. For Nehemiah, what about Jerusalem? It was a faraway place, a thousand miles away, a world away from him. And you didn't hear much from Jerusalem and Judea, that province in which Jerusalem was housed, very often. You know, no newspapers, no cell phones, no email, no text messages, no 24-hour news cycle. Nehemiah couldn't grab his phone and check it several times. A day, there was no breaking news for Nehemiah. You didn't hear much from back home. And when you did hear something, it was stale news. Maybe a caravan passing through, somebody that wandered by and would give their perception or perspective on what was going on in the city of Jerusalem and back in that wonderful place that was now in shambles. Nehemiah had escaped the devastation of Jerusalem, but he couldn't escape the feeling of concern that he had for home. Nehemiah did care. He wasn't really living out that concern for a while. Maybe Nehemiah could just kind of lose himself in his good fortune. But you know how it is. If things are good for me and things are good for everybody. Someone said that a headache for me is worse than a famine in Somalia. If I'm doing good, it really doesn't matter how the rest of you are feeling as long as things are good for me. That's how it feels when you live and die to yourself. But there was a day that Nehemiah's world changed. His brother, maybe his blood brother, Hananiah, came with some other men from Jerusalem, and there is this mission kind of working in Nehemiah's heart, but he doesn't have a lot to go on. Nehemiah 1 and 2, he asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. In other words, he said, how's things back home in Jerusalem? He's just curious. It's an innocent question. There's no harm in asking. It doesn't really affect me, but I'd like to know. A thousand miles of desert away. Now, when Nehemiah asked this, they responded to him, and they told him, the survivors who were left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. The answer from Hananiah and the others was sobering for Nehemiah. His people were afflicted, distressed, reproached. The walls of a city, an ancient city, were its only hope of survival. If the walls are broken down, any marauding band or enemy army can come in and destroy the city. So no walls, no protection. Nehemiah is processing all of this. And he's thinking about the poor people back in Jerusalem that he had left far behind in every way imaginable. But the city is in ruins. This sad story is unfolding. We don't know exactly the emotional reaction that Nehemiah felt, but you've felt this before. Nehemiah feels this lump coming up in his throat, getting choked up with tears. It's a knot forming in his stomach. The Bible says that when Nehemiah 
heard these words, he sat down and he wept. It was the birth of a mission. He mourned for many days. He fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I love it that this is the way Nehemiah's life mission began. It didn't begin with him doing something. It began with him becoming something. His fasting and prayer shaped him. Amen. Nehemiah 1 and 4. So it was, again, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, if you would have been a contemporary of Nehemiah, maybe you lived in Shushan in the palace, you would have told Nehemiah, get a hold of yourself. There's something wrong with you. What's going on with you? It seems that you can't quit crying. You don't stop praying. You're wasting away from all of this fasting. You see, Nehemiah's job was to be cheerful and positive, to walk into the presence of the king with the up spirit, to check the drink, taste it, and then present it to the king so he could drink it himself. Any negative emotion on Nehemiah's part could have risked his job, and it really could have risked his life. Just kill that Hebrew boy. There's someone else ready to take his place. For Nehemiah, when he heard that news, it would have been better for him to give an offering to move the mission or make a commitment to faith promise. But don't get involved. I'm not putting down giving your money. We've all done that. But there is a way you can just give and stay detached. But it wasn't working like that for Nehemiah. Something is working in him that will change him forever. More than a sacrificial offering, personal involvement was what God was calling Nehemiah to. And he could not escape his concern. Months later, Nehemiah has got to go before the king. And Nehemiah is feeling this burden. Nehemiah doesn't know how to act, but after months of fasting and prayer, one day he walks in before the king. It's the following spring. He walks into Artaxerxes, and Nehemiah says in chapter 2, I, I had never been sad in his presence. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah walked in, and he was overcome with sadness. And the king asked him, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick. You just look sad. You're deeply troubled. And Nehemiah writes about this. He said, I was terrified. Nehemiah knew that all Artaxerxes had to do was saying, I don't need this in my presence. I don't need anybody working for me with that attitude. No wonder Nehemiah was terrified when his emotions got the best of him. And Nehemiah said, Long live the king, nor can I not be sad. For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king asked him, How can I help you? 
and Nehemiah, Nehemiah 2 and 4, the Bible says, with a prayer to the God of heaven. Some prayer phrases say, with a quick prayer. Have you ever prayed a quick prayer? I mean, this prayer is based on months of prayer and fasting, but standing there in front of Artaxerxes, Nehemiah just kind of said, Jesus, help me. Except he doesn't say Jesus because that name has not been revealed. That's what we say. Help me now, Lord. Nehemiah prayed a quick prayer. And then he said, if it would please the king, and if you're pleased with me, send me to Judah so I can rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. When you ask something like that, it should really be built on weeks of prayer and fasting. And the king says, what can I do? How long are you going to be gone? What do you need? Nehemiah says, I need letters of protection. I need some soldiers to go with me. I need the promise of provision that you will let me get timbers out of the forest to build the walls. I need you to resource me so I can do this. And when he said it, then King Artaxerxes said yes. Incredible. Pagan king tells Nehemiah, I'm giving you everything you need to go back and restore the city that is an enemy city that they have been warned. If you rebuild that city, those people will rebel against you. But God moved on the heart of a pagan king out of the response of a man with a mission. Incredible. And go back and build the walls. And Nehemiah said, And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Here is what I've learned. And just something I want to say on the way to my main messages. Message that God's resources flow to the mission. If you sit around doing nothing, nothing is going to happen. If you're like the four lepers that get up and try something, you're going to find God operating miraculously on your behalf. And when Nehemiah makes up his mind, I'm going to do something, then God says, I'm going to do something for you. Amen. It's like military resources that flow to the tip of the spear. Nehemiah's on his way. What an incredible story. So because it's just one sermon, I need to fast forward to the heart of what I want to talk about today. Nehemiah is motivated by this mission. Persian king Artaxerxes authorizes and resources him to rebuild the gates and walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah was convinced that his mission was worth his life, that it was essential not optional. Now, the walls and gates of Jerusalem have been raised by the Babylonians. They've laid in ruins, and there's some evidence that some attempts have been made, but in Nehemiah's account, nothing much had happened. 70 years, possibly as many as 90 years have gone by, and there's no one else that has ever risen up to make a difference in Jerusalem. Nehemiah gets there, and late at night when no one knows, he rides on a donkey and 
he goes around the rubble and the walls of Jerusalem. He gets to a place where the passage is so tight, he has to dismount and walk through just by himself. That's how much rubble was in Jerusalem. It was a deplorable condition when Nehemiah got there. But he did that secret reconnaissance mission to assess the damage. And then he began to rally the people. He secured the required resources and they began to build. And the Bible says that Nehemiah motivated the people. So he built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. People that had never done anything for decades. Now a man with a mission walks on the scene and says, we can't do this. God is in this. Artaxerxes has provided for this. Let's go. And the people said, we've got a mind to work. Let's rise up and build. I love it. That's what happens when you're a person with a mission in your life. Well, but God's mission, because it has an eternal impact, it's always opposed. Nehemiah's adversaries tried to get him to stop. They used various tactics, including letters of intimidation, four letters, then a fifth letter trying to undermine him. Their guy, Sanballat, other enemies, Tobiah and Geshem. And they, they said that the wall was built, but only the doors and gates were not yet finished. Nehemiah's work is progressing beyond their expectations. At the beginning, they mocked him and said, even a little fox can run up on those walls and the walls are going to fall down. And Well, Nehemiah revived the stones that had been burned and, and they just ridiculed him. But now they realize that this guy is for real, that this rebuilding effort is taking place. And so they make urgent plans to stop it trying to figure out, and they decide, you know, nobody here was motivated till Nehemiah got here, so let's get rid of Nehemiah, and things will go back to the way they were before he showed up. So Sam Ballot, Geshem, come to Nehemiah. They said, why don't we kind of, we want to have a powwow with you, Nehemiah. We want to talk about all the good things that God is doing, or whatever they said. Why don't you come down from that wall, Nehemiah, and meet with us in one of the cities in the plain of, oh, no. Of, oh, no. And I say that because every time you're tempted to compromise, you ought to say, oh, no, I'm not going there. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, Nehemiah knew what they were trying to do. They were really trying to eliminate him, to kill him. And they knew that if they could get rid of him, as I said, that the work would cease permanently. Nehemiah is persuaded that he is doing a great work. And I have learned that when people believe that they are doing a great work, they will make great sacrifices. When you believe what you're doing isn't that big a deal, you're probably not going to make a great sacrifice, whether it is time, talent, or treasure, not worth it. But when you know what you are doing is of God, that it is a mission that matters, that it is an eternal mission, that it is motivational, and you will be willing 
to sacrifice in a measure that matches the mission. It's our text, Nehemiah 6.3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. A great work. So that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Now I told you they, they didn't relent. They wrote five more letters trying to undermine him. But Nehemiah had an unflappable determination to fulfill the mission that God had given him. And I have found that when you live with a sense of mission, that it matters, that it changes you, it changes other people, it changes everything, and it changes eternity. Yes, it does. Nehemiah 6.15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. It is one of the most amazing feats in the Bible, working day and night, sleeping in your clothes, for a while having a sword in one hand and a tool in the other, doing whatever it takes, highly motivated by a man on mission, amen. And the Bible says when it happened, when they finished, that the enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by God, that God was working with them, and God got it done in 20 and 52 days. When you read Nehemiah's history, he's not a prophet, he's not a priest, he's not a preacher by calling. He was appointed to be a governor, but he was a man on a mission, and God used him beyond his wildest dreams, beyond his ability, because he was willing to say, I care, and I will do something about it. Mission matters. I want to say it again. Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work. I am doing a great work, and I will not come down. Mission, mission matters. If you're doing something for God that has eternal value, you are doing a great work. You may feel like that you serve in obscurity, but not to God. You may feel like people don't really know what you're giving, but God does. You may feel underappreciated, but if you are serving God with a sense of mission, you are doing a great work. Don't come down. Don't quit. Don't compromise. Amen. There might be a concerted effort for you to come down from the wall, from your mission, but like Nehemiah, Hang in there. Stay with it. Don't quit. Amen. I have become keenly aware that the greater the work, the greater the attack. I have learned that revival and resistance occur simultaneously. Read through the first nine chapters of the book of Acts. As soon as things start going good, then they start going bad. 
As soon as there is victory, there is resistance and an attack. And you can count on it in your life. But I know when the attack is great, that the revival will be great. When there is an attack against the mission, that God will prevail. That no weapon formed against us shall prosper. That everything that was meant to destroy us will advance us. That their sword will go into their own belly, the Bible says. And every man's sword was against his fellow. The greater the revival, the greater resistance. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I am doing a great work. You are doing a great work. Let's thank God that we know that we are doing his work and we will not come down. The mission of the church is the most important mission on earth. I say this factually, not with a sense of arrogance or pride. The mission of Atlanta West Pentecostal Church is to lead people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and to develop them into fully devoted followers of him. Our mission is will result in the eternal salvation of souls. Those we fail to reach and those who resist and will not respond will spend eternity tormented in the lake of fire. Our mission matters because of what is at stake. It doesn't matter because of who we are. It matters because of what we're doing. And if we allow ourselves to just kind of dwindle down to self-existence, we will miss the great mission that God has for us. I have learned that your level of personal motivation is dependent upon your awareness of your mission. People who are spiritually lethargic, people that can't get up and go, people that cannot give to make a difference, it is typically because they think either they don't matter or the cause does not matter. Our work, because of its effect on eternity, is the greatest work in the world. And when you know you're doing a great work, you're willing to make great sacrifices. When you know you're doing a great work, you will not come, come down from the wall of that work to a place called, oh no. So the enemy can take you out. That was the design. When people see their mission as negotiable, as negotiable, as optional, the level of commitment is low. Our motivation matches our view of our mission. And we are doing a great work. We cannot come down to compromise or negotiate with the enemy. I know we're an exciting church building program, but more importantly, we're building the church so that it needs a building like that. Our work is not brick and mortar or concrete. Our work is people. And that's why we're having a, a small group fair today. 
after the altar service, I encourage you to go back and find a small group that interests you where you can serve and make a difference and participate and connect. Small groups do connect people on common ground so we can lead them to holy ground. That is the first goal of small groups. But it also provides fellowship for our members so we can be connected to one another, so we can be strengthened. Maybe you're really strong and you don't need anybody else, I fear, for your soul and your life. There are other ways to connect to people in the body of Christ, but make sure you connect up, not down. Make sure you connect to somebody who can strengthen you, who will not weaken you. Living on a relational island is not living the Christian life. Solomon spoke about a loner. He said there was this guy, he lived alone. He didn't have a child or a brother. He worked hard to get as much wealth as he could. But then he asked himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is so meaningless and depressing. Then Solomon teaches the lesson. Two are better than one. They can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach down and help him up. If somebody's in a battle alone, they could die, but two can fight back to back. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Solomon made the case for being together and in fellowship to strengthen one another. Paul told us in Romans 14 that we don't live for ourselves and we don't die for ourselves. The early church didn't just continue in doctrine, which is so vital, but they also continued in fellowship in breaking of bread and prayers. And so we launched small groups for that. But let me ask you, what has God called you to be? What has God called you to do? And I invite you to to answer God's call to a life of mission. A call to mission begins with a call to follow Jesus Christ. It will turn you from sin to righteousness to follow Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. But then it will always cause you to have a sense of mission and a role to play in the kingdom of God where you can make a difference. And today, if you've drifted from that mission or if you've never turned from your sins to God, today would be a great day to start. When you live by a mission, mission matters. You will live for and you will be willing to die for that mission. You will be consumed with a passion that will help you fulfill your God-given purpose. You will find meaning to every day of life like you never dreamed when you find that God-given mission. I've learned that mission-minded people discover extraordinary strength. Mission-minded people live with a great sense of fulfillment. Mission motivates because mission matters. And your mission is unique to you. It's not limited to be a missionary or a preacher. Maybe God's calling you to do that, but I think we sometimes check out on our mission because we limit it to just being a preacher or a missionary or a calling like that. Your calling may be to build a business, 
to build the kingdom of God. Your calling may be to be the best employee in your company so you can be a light in a dark world. Your mission is to serve God by serving people. God gifted you and you will be accountable to God for what you do with that gifting and that calling and that mission. Today, God is calling to the mission of the church to never be the same again, to be motivated by that mission. It will move you to action. It will bring out the best in you. It will cause you to quit making excuses and start making decisions. It will give you the courage to stand when your faith is challenged. It will keep you from sin when you are tempted. It will make sense out of sacrifice because mission matters. Would you bow your heads right now? I pray in the name of Jesus Christ right now. I pray, Lord, the Lord of the harvest, that you would call people into the vineyard, the harvest of reaching lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray right now, Lord, for good people who have decided that their life does not make a difference, so they are just living an existence but no mission. I pray for people right now who have chosen to live a distant spiritual life because every time they dig in in prayer, they feel that Nehemiah nagging, calling, working in them, that birth of a mission. And I pray, God, that that person today who is miserable living short of their potential, I pray, God, that you would rekindle that gift that is in them, that you would rekindle that passion that is in them, that calling you put in them at a private altar, at this altar, at a youth camp, at a conference, in a still, small voice, in a thunder. Rekindle it today in Jesus' name, I pray.
A closed fist can never reach out to me to receive and for allowing me to put in your hands that which I would have you to do. I have giftings and callings that I have placed in your life that you have not used because you have been disillusioned. You have been led in places that you should not have gone or walked. My spirit calls to you this day. Lay aside those things. Take up the cross that I have issued only unto you and walk in the avenue that I have for you today to prosper that my kingdom may prosper. That your life will be a reflection of my love to a world that is lost and dying and seeking love and seeking a light and seeking help that lies within your court. It is your decision, a decision today that must be made. I would lead you, guide you, and gift you, but you must turn unto me with a whole heart that I may lead you into the paths of righteousness for my sake. Would you receive what the Lord has spoken to us through tongues and interpretation? It is time for us today to respond to what God is saying. If you're able, please stand. On June 11 of this year, I preached on the theme commissioned. And at the end of that service, at the beginning of our summer, many of us took home a bottle of oil symbolic of the calling of God, the anointing of God in our lives. As we launch into this fall, I want to remind you that God has commissioned you to go, that God has given you a mission. And today, I'm asking you to respond to that call and work of God in your life, that call to mission by coming to this altar and making yourself available to God. Would you come right now? Would you step out? Come as close as you can get. Please leave room in the aisles. Let's come, everyone who is able. Whatever God is speaking to you, God has something better for you. The great adventure of a mission to make a difference. And when you live mission, Mission will matter in every dimension of your life.